uh, children's literature book, uh, Stuart and uh, the Stork, uh, we read about a stork who was raised uh, around pelicans. Um, I'm just humming right now, Bill. Bill, can you take me down to the monitor? I'm just, it's really loud. Thanks. Uh, we read about a stork who had been raised uh, around pelicans, and uh, he wondered why uh, he couldn't do the same things as, as the pelicans did. And uh, after, uh, he also wondered why he, he didn't look the same as, as a pelican. And after a number of well-meaning conversations, I won't ruin the book for you so you can get it for yourself, um, but uh, they, uh, well-meaning conversations, he's, he's quite confused until his, his mom explains to him something that was pretty simple and obvious. The truth is that he, he was not a pelican. He was a stork. Uh, he, 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 he was something altogether different. Uh, but what he came to find out is to actually know who you are matters. That your identity actually matters. And so over the next two Sundays, what we want to try to understand is what God says about the Christian's identity. In a far greater way than, than a stork figuring out who, who he is, uh, we want to find out who, who, who we are. A few weeks ago, um, we introduced this statement. It's not original with me. An author named Jeff Vanderstelt has said this. We are a family of missionary servants. Talking about the church of God, we are a family of missionary servants. And a few weeks back on a Sunday night, we talked about the first identity listed here, and that's that of family. See, who we, who, uh, what we do comes out of who we are. Okay? We've said this before, but function follows form. Therefore, knowing who you are, your identity is absolutely vital. If you don't know who you are, you won't know what you ought to be doing. You won't know what your life is to be about. Some, quite frankly, live a lot of their life not knowing. Not knowing who they are or what they are to be doing. Scottish pastor and theologian William Barclay has said this, There are two great days in a person's life. The day they are born and the day they discover why. And that why is connected to a what. Or we would say to a who. who. Who I am matters. And I have good news for you today. That little did you know, coming here this morning on Sunday, March 5th, if you didn't know before, you can know today who you are. You can know what God says about you, and you can know God's purpose for you. So some of you may have questioned coming to church today, and I'm glad you did. See, we are who we are. Again, Jeff Vanderstelt says this. We are who we are because of who he is and what he has done. A few weeks back, again, we talked about family. And just in, in summary, John chapter 1, verses uh, 11 through 13, tell us about, about how we become family. That we don't become family through, through our, own, our own way, not through blood, not through the will of man, not through the will of the flesh, but we become children of God through being born of God. We become children of God. We're not automatically children of God. We become children of God. And we come, become children of God through being born of God. And how do we become born again? By receiving, by believing, by grace through faith. And as becoming has a definite act, a moment in time where God opens our eyes and we repent and believe, so behaving like a Christian has a definition as well. We live in a, in a culture where where behaving like a Christian is, is totally subjective. We think that, that you can say that you're a Christian and, and, and do whatever you want, and no one, can, no one can question that. 
You don't know my heart, they say. I don't have to know your heart. You're showing it. You're showing it by your actions. There's evidence of a Christian. There's definition to what it means to be a Christian. One cannot say that they are a Christian and hate their brother. It's not possible. First John tells you that that person's a liar. Our culture is like that. You calling me a liar? Yeah, I am. And more than that, more than that, more significant than me calling you a liar, the Bible's calling you a liar. And so there's actually a definition to what becoming a Christian means and how a Christian behaves. We love like family as Christians because Christ has loved us. That's why we love. Not because we're nice people. Some of us probably aren't the nicest people. There's probably some people who don't know Jesus that are nicer. Right? Some of us have met those people. Right? You're like, man, you're really nice and you're not a Christian? Yeah. They, they actually can be nice. But a Christian is nice not because, not because they're nice, but because of the love of God for them. So how would it change the way you treat others and those in and outside the family of God if you actually treated them like family? Can you imagine how that might change the way you treat people around you, people in your neighborhood, people at work, if you treated them like family? Why? Because you've been treated like family. You may say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, you weren't a Christian when, when Jesus died for you. Jesus treated you like family before you ever believed. But what would it change if we actually understood the identity of being family? But today we want to talk about what it means to be a missionary. I want you to listen to this uh, composition of, of thoughts uh, that explain in a summary fashion the biblical understanding of what being a missionary means. So this is a, a compilation of, of, of biblical thought into this, this sentence. And grammar people, I don't know if it's actually a sentence, all right? So just leave it alone, all right? So if you're going to say, I have too many commas, then whatever. Just listen to the. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just anticipating standing at the door and someone comes by and says, that really wasn't a sentence. All right, I don't really care. So here, here it goes. Right, this is, these are the things that we have to deal with. Okay, so here it is. Being missionaries means we are sent on mission by Jesus as witnesses and ambassadors with the message of reconciliation in order to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth for our joy, for the good of others, and for the glory and renown of God, our King. That's what it means to be a missionary. Missions is actually not the goal of the church. Missions is not the goal of the church. John Piper says this in his his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. He says, rather, worship is. He continues, missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimately, is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate and not man. He continues a little bit later, it says, it, or missions, is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. What is missions for? It is for the making of more and better disciples, more worshipers of Jesus. That's why missions exists. What is worship? Worship is ascribing worth to the one who is worthy. So missions and missionaries exist because worship of Jesus does not exist in all places. Not as Habakkuk 2.14 says, as, as the... Um, as the waters cover the sea. 
the earth will be filled with the glory and knowledge of the Lord. So missions is about God's people going into the world and planting worship because he is worthy of that worship. So, so back to, to our, our statement. We're going to just pull it apart piece by piece. And the first is, being missionaries means we are sent on mission by Jesus. Pastor Chris just read for us John chapter 20. And if you just look again at verse 21, Jesus says again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. Matthew records a Great Commission passage, Matthew 28, and this is John's Great Commission passage in John chapter 20. And here John details the, the involvement. If you read the, the, the whole passage there, as Pastor Chris did, you can see the, the, the involvement of the Godhead here in this commission. We see that the Father has sent the Son, the Son sends his disciples, which, is, which involves Christians as well, and equips them with the Holy Spirit. See, as Jesus was sent on mission, what Jesus is saying is, I'm sending you on mission, disciple. You, you too are being sent on mission. In the book of John, uh, Jesus refers to himself as being sent some 39 times. Being sent meant that, that Jesus left his home. He left his comfort. He left his safety to provide salvation, to proclaim good news, to call mankind to repentance, to, to call them to believe the gospel. Why? For the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus was sent to make disciples. He was sent to make followers of God and worshipers of God. We too are sent to continue to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Jesus prays this for us in what is more rightly the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17, where Jesus actually prays for you, Christian. He actually prays for you. He prays for those who would believe. That's you and me. He actually says that, that as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We are sent as a community. Here's, here's one, I think, super encouraging uh, thing about, about being sent. You're not sent alone. Sometimes we feel like we, we bear the weight of evangelism all on our own. That we're like these lone rangers out there trying to witness to my friend. And we come back dejected over and over again. Here's the truth. You're actually sent. We are actually sent. There's, there's plurality in that. See, Jesus did not do mission alone. Read, read the Bible. He's, he's, there's people around him all the time. He sends his disciples. He doesn't send them alone. He sends them two by two. We look at the, into the book of Acts and we see the apostles. They're going out in groups. Additionally, the Bible is not written primarily to individuals. Sometimes we talk about the Bible being God's love letter to us, and that sounds really nice and romantic, but it's not actually entirely true. The Bible is actually written to groups of people. The Old Testament is written to the children of Israel. That's a group of people. The New Testament is written to churches, largely. There, there are some books that, that are written to people. Get into the pastoral epistles, Philemon. There are some books that are written individually, but by and large, there are books that are written to groups of people. What does that indicate? That indicates that there's a community. There, there's a, a, a plurality that, that is being um, called out here. You're not sent alone. And that ought to encourage you, especially if, if you're kind of weary, especially if you're somebody who's a little bit fearful. You're not doing this alone. God, God's not sending you off to some distant island all by yourself. He, he is sending us as a community. We are sent with great purpose. We are sent with great 
purpose. Sending, by nature, involves uh, intention. It involves direction. It involves a a destination. Think even just simply of, of sending something in the mail. Right? If you send a package, you send a letter, in order to bring about the goal of, of the sender, certain things need to, to happen. Instructions need to be followed. There cannot be this, this ambiguous putting a, 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 a letter into the, the mailbox and thinking it's going to get there. That's not how it works. So neither sending a letter nor the sending of the disciples is done randomly or without objective or without a plan. God has a plan. He likes plans. And he has a plan for us to be sent into the world. Now, we are certainly more than an inanimate object, but the point is that there is a sender, and the sender has authority over the sent. God has authority over you and me because we are sent on mission, not just because we, we love Jesus and we want to go be on mission. No, we are sent on mission because Jesus sent you. You might say, I don't really want to be on mission. Take that out with Jesus. Like, he's doing it. He's the sender here. It's, it's not a pastor. It's not your parents. It's not a religious leader. Jesus is sending you on a mission. That's the call of God. So we are sent on mission by Jesus to do what, or as what? As witnesses. Acts 1.8, familiar verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now the disciples are, are asking Jesus about the kingdom here. Uh, Jesus has died, resurrected, now he's going to ascend. Before he ascends, they ask him, what's going on with the kingdom? We thought you were here to restore the kingdom. When's that going to happen? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know, but here's what, here's what it is for you to know. You're going to be my witnesses. That's, that's your job. Don't, don't, don't you worry about the coming kingdom. You worry about being my witnesses. What is a witness? You may or may not know this. That word, witness, what that word is? Original word? Martyr. Want to read that back? You will be my martyrs. That takes on a little bit of a different tone, doesn't it? We're all fine with witnessing something. If you start talking about martyr, now you're talking about life. You're talking about commitment. You're talking about that I'm actually going to go out and, and be willing to die for something. That's exactly what he's saying. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my martyrs. You know anything about church history? That's exactly what happened. Church tradition tells us that, that all but, but one of the, of the disciples were martyred. Who is witnessing? It's whoever has experienced the grace of God is a witness. That's who the witnesses are. Whoever has come into contact with this, this Jesus. Michael Green in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, says that early Christians' explosive growth, growth was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. It was everyday people who came into contact with, with Jesus and his plan of salvation and told that to someone else. They witnessed that to someone else. And we look through the Bible and we see that. We see people coming into contact with Jesus and going and telling them. That, that didn't seem strange. That actually seemed pretty natural. Like, look what happened to me. You, you should go see this guy. You should hear about this guy. 
Look, look what he has done. Well, where do we go and to, to whom do we go? Well, this Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth is actually an outline for the entire Acts of the Apostles, or the book of Acts. The implication or the application is that we go to any, anywhere. We go to anywhere and to anyone. We go near and we go far. There's, there's no limit. There's, there's no place we won't go. There's no place that's off limits to the gospel. You might say, well, there is, humanly, yeah. There, there are human laws in certain countries that are closed to missionaries, but, but that doesn't mean people aren't there telling the gospel. The gospel has no limits, friends. But not only are we witnesses, but we are what 2 Corinthians 5 says, that we are ambassadors. We are ambassadors, or we are messengers. We are interpreters. We are agents. Paul uses this metaphor for a representative, one, one commentator says this, as a representative of Christ in carrying his message of reconciliation. What's that message? What is, what is this idea of reconciliation? Well, in Romans chapter 5, Pastor Wigan will probably be getting to this when he gets back, but he'll be talking, I'm sure, at some length about the, the message of reconciliation. And that's what Christ has come to do. What is reconciliation? It's restoration. It, it's making peace between two parties. Again, the commentator Morris says this, Reconciliation properly applies not to good relations in general, but to doing away of an enmity or a, a hostility, bridging over a quarrel. That's what, that's what reconciliation means. Well, why do we need to be reconciled? Because in uncertain, under no uncertain terms, we are enemies of God. We are, at, 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 we are hostile towards God on our own. We are at war with Him. But instead of trying to reconcile ourselves to Him, which is impossible, God actually does the work. This, this talks about God reconciling us to Himself, not us reconciling ourselves to Him. If that sounds backwards to you, it, it, it is. Think about a relationship in your life. That person tries to get reconciliation with you, right? They, they try to reconcile them, themselves to you. If they've offended you, they, they want to try to be made at peace with you. This is the offended one making peace with the offender. The only way that God could do that is by doing it through Christ, verse 19. In Christ, God has, was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This message of reconciliation is a summary of the gospel message. It is that we can be made right with God. We who are at, 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 at war with God can be made at peace with God through Christ and Christ alone. So being a missionary means that we're sent on mission by Jesus as witnesses and ambassadors with a message. Not just sending you out there. He's sending you with a message that you can be made right with God. And for what? In order to make disciples of all nations to the end of the earth. Familiar passage here again. This is Matthew's Great Commission passage that tells us the imperative here, the command, is make disciples. We could say that what Matthew is calling us to is being a disciple of Christ means making disciples who make disciples. If you are a disciple, then you ought to be making disciples. That is, that is 
the implication. That's the natural outcome. Multiplication is God's plan. From creation, be fruitful, multiply, to conversion, making of disciples. God's plan is multiplication. It is growth. And that does mean numerical growth. It certainly means that we're growing deeper in Jesus. That's true. But it also means that people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Matthew gives three aspects of this imperative. To go, to teach, and to be uh, baptized. Or go, baptize, and teach. So when we think about the Great Commission, we think about that it means making disciples. Does that mean evangelism or discipleship? Does that mean conversion or growing in Jesus? Does it mean salvation or sanctification? The answer is yes. It absolutely means that. You say, which one? No, all of them. That's what making a disciple is. More and better. More and better. Going. We go with the gospel. We go to tell. We go to preach. We go to, to tell a message of reconciliation. Now, sometimes we say things like, you know, uh, preach the gospel if necessary, use words. You may have heard that. Well, here's a memo for you. The gospel is words. You can't preach the gospel without words. You can love people like Jesus without words, sure, but you cannot preach the gospel without words. The gospel is words. You may say, well, I'm not sure I understand. Romans chapter 10, faith comes by what? Hearing. You must hear in order to believe. You must tell in order for someone to hear. They must hear, hearing by faith, the word of Christ. Where do we go? We go wherever. We talked about that. But where does this say? To all nations, all ethnic groups, to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. We could talk about the unreached people groups. We don't have time to do that. There are three billion people who live in unreached people groups with little or no access to the gospel. There's a grave need for going. Going everywhere, going to the unreached. The question for us is, do we have a, do we have a heart for that? Do we have a heart to, to make disciples, to see people come to know Jesus? See, making disciples is not a church program. It's not a program for that. It's not what making disciples is. Making disciples is a calling on every disciple's life. Make disciples. Baptizing them. In baptism, we see this proclamation of the gospel and a call to repentance and faith. So there's there's a picture of conversion in identity with Jesus. Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all things. This involves a continuation, an ongoing teaching. This means that it's not just salvation. It's not the only aspect of of making a disciple. Sometimes we're all excited that someone comes to know Jesus, and that that is exciting. But part of making disciples is that they continue to grow to know God more. This is ongoing, this continual transformation. And we see that in, in, in the book of Acts, where people meet Jesus, they're added to the church, and they, they're taught, and they're growing in Christ. And why do we do all of this? For our joy, for the good of others, and for the glory and renown of our God and King. What does that mean, our joy? What well, means this? God doesn't need you. God does not need you to save anybody. You save no one. I save no one. 
who God chooses, God chooses. And who God chooses, God saves. Be assured of that. Rest easy. Those who God chooses, he saves. Your responsibility is to tell. My responsibility is to tell. He can do it without you. He can do it without you. But here's, here's how good the Father is. He's inviting you into it. Why? Because there's joy there. Because in his presence, there, there is joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Because obedience to God brings joy. Our joy is connected to him, and that is inseparable. But it's not only for our joy, it's for others' good, which seems pretty obvious. The proclamation of the gospel is actually for someone's good. But I say, but they don't like that. They don't like that when I tell them that they're a sinner, they're going to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus. Right, but that's for their good. There's a lost and a dying world who need to hear the message of salvation. Our call is to go and to give it to them. All this is for his glory. For his glory, his renown. Romans chapter 11, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our heart. Why missions? Because of who he is and what he has done. God, who is creator, giver of life, author of life, author of our days, forgiver, mender of broken hearts, comforter of the hurting, rest for the weary, joy for the sorrowful, peace for the troubled. That God, because of who he is, that's why we go. What has he done? He's redeemed us through the work of Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to redeem See, Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin debt and my sin debt. And all who repent and believe can enjoy, enjoy the salvation that Jesus gives. One pastor says it this way, that Christ died the death that we should have died so that we can live the life we were created to live from the beginning. That's what he has done. He has saved us and he has sent us. Quite frankly, is he not worthy of worship? Being a missionary means that we are sent on mission by Jesus as witnesses and ambassadors with the message of reconciliation in order to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth for the joy, for our joy, for the good of others, and for the glory and renown of God our King. Now, some of this may sound very familiar to many of you, very familiar verses to some of you, but please don't be deceived this morning. Christian maturity, Christian faithfulness, Christian godliness and obedience is not in knowing the Bible. You can know the Bible and go to hell. You know that? Sometimes we have this idea of of knowledge equaling faithfulness. That's not true. Faithfulness is about obedience. It's about doing something with what we know. So some of us may hear all these things again and say, I've heard all those things. Good. Then you're at a really good starting point to say, 
how now will I live? How then should we live? How is this making any difference in your life? You know this scripture too, probably. James 1.22. Do not be hearers of the word only, but be doers. So what will you do with what you have heard? How does this affect your life? How would it disrupt your current lifestyle? If you actually believed that you were sent. See, this idea of being a missionary actually could rightly be said Christian living. We use the word missionary or missional living, but it's really Christian living. That's what it is. The terms are not different. C.H. Spurgeon has, has said painfully, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. The Christian life, the missionary life, is costly. If you're not inconvenienced by the commission of God, the sending of Jesus, you are probably not pursuing the mission. If the Christian life is a missional life, why is it that we don't live as as God's missionary people? One reason I would suggest to you is that the mission, living as, as a missionary, is a cruciformed life. What do I mean? I mean, it's a cross-formed life. It's a cross-centered, it's a cross-driven life, even to the point of death. It is identifying with the sufferings of Jesus himself, as many have. Consider these two men. Okay. It was the early 1700s when John Leonard Dobear and David Nitschman first heard about the island. They were at church on an ordinary Sunday morning, and the pastor was speaking about a place in the West Indies where there had never been any gospel witness. He told of a man who lived on an island who was an atheist slave owner with about 3,000 slaves, all of whom would live and die there without a chance to ever hear of Jesus. Deeply disturbed by what they heard, these two men in their early 20s made the decision to go to this place to reach these slaves with the gospel. Their plan, sell themselves into slavery so that they could be among these men. Sell themselves into slavery. These guys, they weren't heading on a short-term mission trip. These men left to go and live and suffer as slaves. And they had no idea if they would ever come back. Their families and friends, in large part, were all against their decision. And yet, John and David prepared to go. And so the story goes, these Two young men arrived at the pier to board the ship, their families and friends all there to say goodbye, and they were sure they would never see them again. The men boarded the ship and set out, and as the gap between the shore and the ship widened, the two men linked arms, and one of them raised his hand and shouted across the gap these final words. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. What is that? The salvation of souls. The worship of people all across the world. That's the mission. The mission is to plant worship where there is not worship. We were made to worship. Your neighbor was made to worship. All peoples were made to worship. 
But we, we worship other things, don't we? We worship created things. We worship money and sex and people. We worship hobbies and technology and sports. We worship comfort and convenience and safety. We worship country and individualism and, and privacy. And the, the, the list goes on and on and on. What if? What if we believe that our identity was as a missionary? What if we believe that we existed for the worship of God? Friend, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is absolutely true. The question before us is will that invitation happen now? And we will bow as to, to God as our Savior? Or will we bow to Him as our judge? Worship is the theme of missions. Missions is about planting it, calling others to see Jesus as better. Christian, you are everyday missionaries. Church is not just for Sunday. Church is every day. What's that mean? That means this building is not the church. We all know that. Many of us know that. It's you. You take church. We are church. We go out and we, we proclaim the gospel so that people don't have to wait till Sunday to see it. They might never come here. How are they going to hear? Because we go. We go proclaiming a message. Being a church means living like God's missionary people. So let me ask you, who in your life are you praying for right now? Who in your life are you investing in right now? Who in your life do you need to invite to meet Jesus right now? faith family. We are a family of missionary servants. What would that look like? What would that look like for, for, for a family? Uh, a, a biological family. Sometimes we might say things like, but man, we're so busy. We just don't have time for missions, for making disciples. Brother and sister, let, let me say this as gently as, as I possibly can in speaking the truth with love. And, and if you know me, hopefully you believe that already. If not, you're going to take my word for it. Um, if this is your situation, then one of two things is, is true. Either one, you're too busy. Or two, you're missing the point. You're not seeing the opportunities for mission that exist in your everyday. See, missions is not an add-on. It's not I live my life and then I do missions on the side. That, you're missing the point. Missions is actually an attitude. It's a perspective. It's a heartbeat. It's a calling. It's not an add-on. It is. It's not an add-on to life. It is life. You are sent. Now, there's some children, students, and young people in the room, and you might think, well, you know, my life is different than those older people. But friend, your, your school, your team, your classmates, your coworkers, they are a ready-made field of missional opportunities. They're there. They're there. There's people in your life who don't know Jesus. And I want to invite you to find the people who do and link arms with them and get to work at kicking a dent into the kingdom of darkness by proclaiming the good news of the gospel of grace. Sometimes young people want to complain about church and complain about older Christians. And maybe some of their complaints are, are real. Maybe they're fair. But what's not fair is to sit and do nothing. So do something. Do something. Some might sit there and say, man, my time, my time might be passed for this missional stuff. I don't have energy for that anymore. I'm, I'm too old for that. 
And I want to say to you, it's not over. It's not over till it's over. I mean, if God has given you breath in your lungs, you're sent. There's no, there's no cap on this. No time out. No way. Is your sphere smaller than it was? Probably. Are there less people that, that you associate with that don't know Jesus? Probably. But how can you still, how can you still show and share Jesus with those around you? Some of you sit there today and you say, man, my life is a wreck. And you're, you're burdening me with more. I'm, I'm in the midst of my suffering. I'm, I'm hurting. And you're, you're trying to tell me I need to be doing this, that, and the other thing. And all I want to say to you is, maybe your missional opportunity is in your suffering. You don't have to look outside it. It's probably right there. It's the people who are walking through it with you. Some of you might say, well, man, my past, oh, man, I, I, I'm surely not qualified to be telling anybody about Jesus. And if you're saying that today, you're in the right place. Because <laughs> here, let me, let me lead in. Let me, let me give you a little secret. None of us are. You're in the right place. We're all unqualified. We all have sin. It's amazing to me that we come to a place like this and know that we're all sinners, yet don't want to admit that we're all sinners even though we all know that we're all sinners. Seems counterintuitive. Here's the truth. We're all sinners. We all have stuff in our back, in, our, in, our, in the rearview mirror. Everybody does. Yours might be different than mine. You don't think I have regret? <laughs> you bet I have regret. You don't think things that I wish that weren't true of my story? You bet I do. But here's what you can know. Same, same thing that I know. That there's a God who loves you, and who, who forgives. Your past doesn't have to define you. Your sin doesn't define you. Jesus defines you. And what Jesus calls you is his child. He calls you forgiven. And he calls you to proclaim that message. And quite frankly, if you identify as a sinner, you, you are more ready than most to, to begin to proclaim that message. Because you know how desperately this world needs to hear that. That God's not done. He's not done with you because you messed up. He's ready to forgive and welcome you in. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know Jesus and I don't know what this guy's talking about, I'm glad you're here though. Because here's, the, here's what you need to know. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And in so doing, he offers to you the forgiveness of your sins the salvation of your very soul. There's no better news. There's no better news to hear than that. It's a day. Today is the day of salvation. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, Behold, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. We're inviting you. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins and believed, come to Jesus today. Come and know him. Enjoy the Join the, the party of the sent. Join the community of missionaries here. So are you a missionary or an imposter? It's really that simple. It's really that simple. And your life actually 
your life actually gives you the answer. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful today that you are a God who is full of grace and forgiveness, full of provision, strength, boldness to help us follow you in obedience. God, I want to invite those who don't know Jesus to come to Jesus this morning. Simply to, to where they're at. Talk to him. Talk to you, God. Repenting of their sin and believing on Jesus as the Savior they so desperately need. Help us to find our hope today in you. And in response, joyfully obey. Joyfully plant worship wherever there is not worship. For the glory of God and the renown of Jesus as King. Oh, help us, God, to be your missionary people. In Jesus' name I pray. the Lord. 
Father, as we, uh, your witnesses and messengers now, go into the world proclaiming the message of peace and salvation made possible through your Son, our Savior, Jesus the Christ.